Live from our studio in Babson Park, Massachusetts, it's the Fred Opie Show, where we unpack history to positively impact the future. I am Fred Opie, your host. Thanks for joining us live or listening to the podcast. Hey, everybody. Today's show is about Rick Soule. To my knowledge, he has been the first African-American to serve as a Division I lacrosse coach. He coached at Dartmouth College, St. John's University, Stony Brook University, and the U.S. Naval Academy. Um, and I grew up about an hour south of Hobart. My high school coach played at Hobart, and I was supposed to go there. Um, thought I was going there to, to play football before actually even playing lacrosse. But things didn't work out academically for me, for me, so I had to go to junior college. As you know, that's where you and I competed against each other. Mm-hmm. I met him talking trash during a Herkimer County Community College versus Cobble Skill lacrosse game back in the early 1980s. I was playing defense and he was playing attack, and I had never really had that opportunity to be on a field against another African-American. And he was a formidable opponent. I am ashamed to say back then I talked way too much smack. He went on to play lacrosse at Washington College where he had an outstanding career. But rather than me tell you about what he did at Washington College, let's look to his former roommate and teammate, Steve Bevel, who is the head lacrosse coach at Cortland State University. Rick came down in 84 and 85. Him and and, and a couple of the Hobart guys, uh, you know, were the preeminent midfielders at that time in Division III for those two years. Rick had only been playing lacrosse for probably three years. I don't think he started playing until he was a junior in high school. But just an, an incredible athlete, fast, strong, determined. You know, Rick was so determined that he could get to the cage and get his hands free uh, as well as anyone. And he was a great athlete in every way. He was a quarterback, uh, point guard, uh, two guard, I think, at sometimes, and a great defender in basketball as well. So, you know, great athlete that started the game late. Junior year was dominant, but not completely dominant and man did he get it his senior year you know i say this every day his senior year was one of the greatest single seasons that i still have seen to this day for one midfield was just the maturity level and him just you know understanding uh where to go the timing on his cuts the timing of when to go to the cage and his incredible determination and competitiveness um, you know, to get to the cage, to get his hands free, um, to not stop. There were so many times guys thought they had him stopped. He would just find a way to rip right through him, you know, to get to the five and five and let that cannon go on a run. He carried us so many times, won three to four games in overtime, including the big five goal performance against Hobart. And they hadn't been beaten, in, I think, 45 straight games uh, in Division Three, plus all the championships. And, and we finally got him. You know, my senior year there, we had, we had got wins over Navy, two wins over Navy, and beat a bunch of Division One teams, you know, but we hadn't gotten Hobart yet. So that was a big, giant win. You know, Ricky had five, including the winner in overtime. And then, of course, you know, the whole season, like I said, was, was one of the great single-season midfielder performances, you know, that I had seen 
in any division uh, throughout that 1985 season. And, uh, you know, Rick was also a roommate, but a roommate and, uh, you know, lifelong friend. We talk all the time, you know, about coaching, about strategy, about the different things that we deal with. You know, he's had a fantastic career. And uh, as far as coaching, I know he's going to, you know, he'll be back out there soon again. I mean, he's, he's not coaching right now, but uh, somebody's going to hire him and they're going to get themselves a great coach, you know, very shortly here. Coach Eric and I go, go a little ways back. Um, I was actually supposed to go to Hobart coming out of high school. Um, uh, but Coach Eric and I developed a little bit of a relationship, not not a huge relationship, um, but, you know, between, you know, with the football camp up there and, again, my high school coach, you know, played for him. And so he gets the, you know, he takes the Georgetown job back in, I guess, 1989. And I tell people um, – you know, comparing Coach Tierney leaving Princeton to go to Denver, you know, six years ago, I guess, um, you know, that was Coach Yerick when he left Hobart to go to Georgetown. Holy smokes, here's this coach who won 12 national championships. You know, he's moving on to go to Georgetown, a program who hadn't had a winning season ever. Um, and um, so that was big news. Um, and so that was when I was coaching at St. Albans, um, St. Albans school, which is about a mile up the street from Georgetown. Um, and so coach would come to my games that spring. Um, I think he, was, he didn't know a lot of people. And again, he and I had a little bit of a relationship. And so he enjoyed coming to see my team play. Georgetown had, um, when they hired coach York as the head coach, they told him, you know, they didn't have the resources for a full-time assistant that first year, but they would have it the second year. At the end of his first year, he comes to me, asked me if I wanted to be his coach. Now, a little side story here. He had offered it to Mark Van, who had played for him, so they've known each other for years. Mark had just graduated from grad school up at UMass. I think Chris Kolbeck had left Virginia. assistant job came open, and so Coach Starja asked um, Mark Van if he would be his assistant down in Charlottesville. So Mark Van, having spent a lot of his life with Coach Yurick, decided that he wanted to coach under Coach Starja. And so he decides to go to Charlottesville, which opened the door for me. I guess you can say the rest is history. I ended up working eight years with him, eight of the best years of my life. I learned so much, not only in the coaching arena, but just in regular life. Just learned so much from Coach Eric, being around him and his family. Still very, very, very close to the family, Scott, the boy, Holly, Mindy, the two daughters, and of course, Mrs. Eurek. They're like family to me. We're going to take a commercial break now, and we'll be right back. Today's show is brought to you in part by TheAthleteBook.com. If your business is looking to hire talented team members, post your openings on TheAthleteBook.com. They host virtual hiring events that connect college, Olympic, and pro athlete to job opportunities. Theathletebook.com offers diversity recruiting solutions, personality trait matching to your top employees. CEO Ryan Drummond is a friend, former Division I athlete, and seasoned talent strategist. Theathletebook.com works with small businesses as well as pro sports teams, Amazon, Yelp, J.P. Morgan Chase, GE and Under Armour to help them hire the best. Let's return to the show now to unpack more history to positively impact the future. What were some of his mantras that have become ingrained in you? He had a bunch of them. 
when you're through and proven, you're through. The only thing we have in common with our opponent is time. We got to make best use of our time. You're staying out in the rain. Once you're wet, you're wet. Halftime, you know, the easy half is over. Don't eat anything you can't lift. Come on, ref, I'm starting to take this personal. These one-liners that would just crack you up. It's just a joy to be around every day. How has he influenced you directly as a coach? I just learned from just from watching him, you know, as being a head coach, is letting your assistant coaches coach. He let me coach. I made mistakes. He would correct me when I made mistakes, but he really was, especially when I first got there, mm -hmm. I'm a high school coach, you know, stepping into the college game. He let me coach. He relied a lot on me when, when it came to recruiting. But just watching him in a home, you know, how he spoke with the parents. Again, watching him, throwing some funny in there. What were some of the things that you thought you understood about being a head coach that after you became one, you go, man, I didn't know this was going to be like this? Hmm. Yeah, that's another. That's another good. Another good question. I haven't taken over a program that ha had a, a winning record, so you know, I knew coming into these situations is going to, you know, be rebuilding and it's going to take some time. And I'm going back to, I guess, you know, when I took over at, at, at Dartmouth, being away from your family. You know, those first couple of years, my wife. You know, she was excited that I was a head coach, but, you know, being on the road all the time with a little with a little baby girl left for some lonely times for her, which she wasn't happy about. You're the head coach at a great place. I mean, people would love to have the job you have. The 20-year-old version of you that hears this podcast or is watching this on live on Facebook, how would you encourage them to establish their credentials? What are some things that you say, you need this on your resume so that if an opportunity comes to interview for one of the top jobs in Division One lacrosse, you'll be in the hunt. I'd say right off the bat, and it's an easy one. You know, you got to put the time in. You know, working lacrosse camp, things have changed significantly, as you know. During the 80s, 70s, 80s, early 90s, summer camps were very important. Going to those different camps, you know, whether it's a Rutgers camp or a Hobart camp, you know, West Point camp, getting out, ultimately just meeting people. Nowadays, it's a little different because they have the recruiting showcases. You know, I remember, you know, the Hobart camp. It's when I got first got to know Coach Tierney and all the, you know, just a lot of great coaches, you know, Paul Wareham, and just de developing relationships with them. You know, that's a big part of it because when people hire you know, a head coaching job, you're going to look to hire someone that you have, you, you know, at least a little bit. Hiring coaches out of the blue that you have no idea who they are, I, that's, you know, that doesn't happen very often. There's usually some kind of connection. And obviously your resume, where you've been, experience, that, that's going to factor in. But it's going to come down to, do I know this guy? Do I feel comfortable with this guy? What's the reputation of this guy? And that's the other thing that I would advise my, um, my younger self. And, and that would be to being a good person. And that's not being, you know, kind of phony or fake around people to, so they see you being this certain type of uh, person. But I was raised very well by my, by my mother, and a lot of the, the credit that I've gotten over the years is directly as a result of her teaching me the right things, you know, mm -hmm. right from wrong, to be polite. But you being an African-American, myself being an African-American, very few, even to this day, play the sport. But 20 years ago, 30 years ago, there was, there was very, very few. I treat people the right way, please and thank you, and respectful to to. To people, I, I think that that would be something I would definitely 
make sure my younger self knew you, you, you know, and that's how I teach my, raise my kids as well. So that's a big part of it. At the end of the day, you want people to be able to say, man, that's a, you know, he, he's a good person. He's a good guy. That, to me, that's like the ultimate compliment. You know, he's a good guy, a good person. That's being respectful, being polite. I think that that has served me well. Um, and again, I have to give full credit to my, to my mother for the person I am today. Um, when you sprinkle, I do sprinkle in some, some coaching influence, Dave York, be it one, Terry Corcoran, my high school coach, Tom Moffitt, Keith Reitenbach. All those guys have tr- had tremendous influences on me as well. But in terms of the foundation of who I am, no doubt about it, it was my mother. Would certainly tell my younger self, you know, that these are the things that you need to, to do if you want to succeed in coaching. There's a book that I read, I think it's called More Than Talent. And the book essentially says that that's not enough. There's, there's the, you got to be a good citizen is what I hear you say. Absolutely. And, and people don't, you know, X's and O's are great. You can know that. But let's just be, if you're a jerk, nobody's going to want to work with you. No one's going to be recruited by a jerk and nobody wants to hire a jerk. And I Amen. think that just gets very often pushed under the rug. And we're in a time period now, a lot of these scandals coming out, that will just derail your career. Forget uh, uh, trying to get a, ho- a head coaching job when you can't even be a person somebody wants to live with. I agree with you 100%. <laughs> 100%. You know, um, you know, school was never a big, you know, that was always tough for me. That was always a big challenge for me. But, um, you know, just being a good person, you know, could really does get you, it gets you a long ways. There's no, there's no doubt about it. We're going to take a commercial break now, and we'll be right back. like the work that we produce on this show, support the show and get access to extra content and more at patreon.com backslash Fred Opie Show. Every week and month, I will be posting additional content for those who want to pay for it at patreon.com backslash Fred Opie Show. Let's return to the show now to unpack more history to positively impact the future. If you could have a superpower, which one would you want and why? I'm a I'm a I'm an old school guy, super superman, you know. I, I'm I'm you know, Clark Kent, you know, being able to uh fly, you know. Um, <laughs> man, you know, one day you're hanging out, you know, what one one minute you're hanging out in a nice suit and then the next minute, you know, you're out, you know, flying the friendly skies with traffic the way it could be in, in certain certain parts of this country, you know, to be able to fly um, saved me a lot of time. Um, <laughs> but being able to help people as well as, as Superman did throughout his throughout his whole, you know, his whole uh, his whole career, um, I'd have to say, um, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of Superman, and, and that is someone um, that, you know, if I, if I had to, a superpower, if I had a choice, I would I would go that route. If you could have dinner with three people, they could be dead or alive. Which three people? Only three. Which three people would you have, and why would you choose these three? It's the first one. You know, my, my man, my man MJ, Michael Jordan. You know, he's my all-time favorite. You know, athlete. Uh, just being able to sit down and have a have a have a meal with him would would certainly be pretty pretty cool. Um, the way he played, the grace, the competitiveness, coming through in the big moment um, as he did so often. You know, he was my man. There's no no, no doubt about it. The other person um, that was easy for me 
have a meal with this Harriet Tubman. My thesis back in college was on the Underground Railroad. I'm fascinated by, I'm, I'm just fascinated by the Underground Railroad and, you know, abolitionists back in the, in, in the day of slavery. It's just amazing, you know, that she, A, freed herself, and then the number of missions that she did to go, you know, rescue, you know, whether it's family, whether it was friends. Could you imagine how, what it was like, you know, traveling, <laughs> you know, the country back, you know, when it's dark, there's no flashlights, there's no, I mean, you're running up and down, you know, you're traveling at night. Not only did she did it, do it once, she did it numerous amount of time. She also served in the, you know, in the Army as a scout and a spy. Um, I'm just very, in all, but certainly intrigued and would love to just sit down and just like, man, how, what? How did you do it? <laughs> you know, how did you do it? You want to talk about, um, you know, fortitude, back up to north, back down south, back up to north. So I, I'm fascinated by Harriet Tubman and, 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 the, and uh, what she did, you know, throughout her life. Let's break away from this show and Rick Soul for a second. And I want to tell you about the movie Harriet, which I saw with my wife last weekend. And let me preface my review of the movie and my comments for what it's worth to share that I did my master's thesis on the black abolitionist movement in the late 1980s. While I was working at Gettysburg College, I was a graduate assistant working for Hank Jancic as his defensive coordinator and then working on my master's thesis at nearby Shippensburg University. Matter of fact, I was the first graduate assistant that they had at Gettysburg. And if you are somebody who is interested in going to graduate school, you're an undergrad or you played a sport. It's a great way to get your, your graduate school degree paid for by being a graduate assistant. So just something to think about. Part of my project required me to do research on the Underground Railroad, and I did so and came across information on Harriet Tubman. Later on, as a teaching assistant in graduate school, I worked with Milt Cernet, Professor Emeritus of History and African American Studies at Syracuse University. He has written one of the definitive biographies of Tubman. Matter of fact, he's written two books on Tubman. Check them out. Later, as a college professor, I have taught courses in which I've lectured on the Underground Railroad and Tubman, and I've also delivered speeches on the same topic on more than one occasion. So I know a little bit about uh, Harriet Tubman and her career. Now, using that as context, let me share my thoughts on the movie Harriet. My understanding is there has been some criticism about the movie. Let's talk about some of these criticisms, and I'm sure there's a lot more. One critique is that the decision to cast lead character playing Harriet. People are taking issue also with the depiction of African Americans in the movie as slave catchers. Those low-life individuals who earn their income catching returning runaways to their masters. That occupation became even more lucrative after the passage of the Fugitive Slave Law, which is also talked about in the movie, and I think in an accurate way. A great book on life for African Americans after the Fugitive Slave Law is called Elijah of Buxton. It's a very good movie, very good book uh, that has also won awards, so you might want to check that out. Others have complained that the movie puts too much emphasis on Tubman's Christian faith to do her work as a conductor on the Underground Railroad. That is a metaphor for the work that people did in helping folks go from one location that was secret to another and shuttling them to freedom. A person who worked on the Underground Railroad or worked with the Underground Railroad were known as conductors, and that was Tubman's role and title. 
First, I think the actress that plays Tubman does an outstanding job. Second, do the research. African Americans did work as bounty hunters and owned slaves. You may not like that, but that's the truth. And I think some of those complaints are coming from black folks who are more nationalistic than well-read. The whole idea of black folks as bounty hunters and slave owners, let's not go back to and say, well, black folks own slaves in Africa, because that's a whole different type of slavery, okay? The type of slavery that we see here in the Americas was race-based. The type of slavery that we saw in Africa was similar to the type of slavery we saw in the Roman Empire. In old world slavery, you were enslaved because of debt, warfare, bad political decision. In the old world, whether it be Africa or in Europe, it was equal opportunity enslavement. People didn't care what color you were versus the type of slavery that we're talking about in the movie Harriet here in North America was a race-based institution. So let's not go there. But regardless, the fact that we had black folks owning slaves in this country and working as bounty hunters means that the problem of reparations is not so simplistic. But please do not uh, confuse my statement with my uh, support for reparations. I, I am in 100% support of reparations the same way Folks got reparations for the internment of Asian Americans during World War II and what happened to uh, Jewish people during the Holocaust. I believe there should be reparations for what happened to people of African descent. Not easy to do, but we certainly have examples from the internment of Asians and the treatment of, of Jewish people that reparations can be made and should be made. Let me move on. Third, and finally, the research shows that the details about Tubman's work as a conductor on the Grand, on the Underground Railroad is based is based on incomplete evidence. We know that she was not literate, nor the people that she shuttled to freedom were literate. But we do know, and it's truly depicted in the movie, that the character William Steele, who was head of the Underground Railroad in the city of Philadelphia, by the way, another great book on. Uh, the African-American population in Philadelphia is Jessica Harris's book, High in the Hog. There are some wonderful, very detailed chapters on what it was like to be African-American in Philadelphia at the same time. So I suggest you take a look at that. But what we know, though, is when people came to Still, and when Harriet would bring people to Still, and one of the first things he would do was pull out this book, and he would ask people to share their names and as much as they could about their oral history. And he would document that, including how they made their way to freedom. That information is out there. That book is still in publication, and it's probably going to get a new run on Amazon. Now that I'm going to mention it, but if you just look up, uh, I think it's The Life of William Steele, a conductor on the, on, on the Underground Railroad. Check it out because it'll give you a lot of the information. But regardless, there are some cracks in the history, uh, if you read it yourself, you will see that we don't know everything about her life and what she did. But I think most importantly, many of us have had near misses with car accidents, different accidents, this and that, where the only way we can explain, if we're willing to, is that that was divine intervention that kept us alive and here on the earth. The problem is, let's be real, how many people wanted to the woods in pitch dark in a region where it's a, uh, a reward to cap capture you and there are bounty hunters everywhere looking for you. Think about it. I mean, we know this. This woman did it despite that knowledge. I don't like to drive through woods in my car when it's dark out. Never mind 
be on foot in, in areas like that. Uh, there are parts of this country as an African-American I don't like to be in. I'm just going to be honest with you because of racism and white supremacy. There are just regions like that. But this woman did this anyhow. This was a very courageous woman. She explains her boldness by her faith in Jesus Christ. Could the problem be that folks in an increasingly secular society like ours, a society in which there's little to no acknowledgement of one faith and one God are being led by the Spirit, folks just don't want to hear that message. So read the work of scholars like Sernet and others and come up with your own explanation of how she did the work she did under the circumstances in which she did it. Uh, certainly, I will admit as a person of faith, I am very comfortable with the interpretation. But that's what movies do, folks. If somebody buys a rights to one of my books, they have the license to interpret the book the way they want. People don't take history and write it exactly how it is in the book. And in the case of Harriet Tubman, we don't know all the history anyhow. The movie Harriet is nothing but a group of writers in a room giving their interpretation of the woman's life. And I think I did a good job with it. Of course, none of it is completely accurate, but I think it's a good movie and I would suggest you go check it out and support it. Now, let's return to this discussion and show on Rick Soule. On the same topic, Martin Luther King. I mean, you got to go with you know Dr. Martin Luther King. For me, you know, sat down, had a meal with him. He was a leader, and, and obviously his approach, nonviolence, must have been so difficult, so difficult back then, because so many people, you know, wanted to, you know, it was about you know trying to get back, pay back physically, you know, and he stressed doing it, you know, a different way. Harriet Tubman, Michael Jordan, and Dr. Martin Luther King. When is the last time you cried and why? The last time I cried was, um, <laughs> you know, a quarter round of the NCAA tournament. Beat Yale up at Yale. Doing the interview with Paul Carcateria was one of them. And I ended up just tearing up. Now I go back to our conversation we, we had a, little, a few minutes ago and me praising my mom. She had died in late fall. Now, this was May. Her, her birthday was in March, March 31st, so it was the first birthday with her no longer being here. And then Mother's Day was, I think, the week earlier. Oh, week okay. earlier. So, you know, we win this game. It was, a you know, uh, obviously a great moment for my team and, you know, and for myself personally. Having taken this program over, you know, the first couple of years, it was pretty tough. You know, we had to get things going. That was a moment that that she would have been very proud of, of me. And um, I just broke down. And I, I didn't break down even at her funeral service. I, I held together, you know, all that time. But, you know, we, we beat Yale. I just couldn't help myself. I was thinking about her. But we just pulled this off. Ma, we did it. I finally broke down. More men need to see that real men can cry. I think it's great. Last question. I don't tell my guests this beforehand because they really need to think, and I wouldn't want them to process it too much. Rick, we're going to say that you just came from uh, the doctor, and you learned that you have a rare form of bone cancer. And they're going to give you literally three months to live. And they tell you you need to get your house in order, and decide how you want to live this next three months. What we're going to ask you to do is to make a video, and in that video, share three things a person needs to do, three principles, if you're going to live a life that has a great impact. Impact 
maybe at the scale that your mom has had on you, what are three things that you would want your current players, your alum, your daughter, your wife, and your extended family to know? If you're going to have a great impact on this world, what are three principles to live by? Wow. Wow. That um, treat people respectfully. That's a, that's a must. There's, there's, no, there's no doubt about it. If we're going to make a mistake, hold yourself accountable. That's a principle. Third one, having a pretty good work ethic. I think it's very important. You know, you can't be lazy. Tell my kids, tell, you know, tell my team, you got to have a you know, pretty sound work ethic. Certainly the first two, being respectful to people, is that's a no-brainer. I think the accountability is certainly an easy one for me. And then third one, having the work ethic. That's going to get you places. You know, that is going to get you some place if, if you're not afraid to, you know, put the time in and, you know, roll those sleeves up and, you know, persevere. There may be some perseverance involved, but um, if the work ethic's there, you know, hopefully in the end, uh, good things will happen. Rick, I, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for, for taking the time out of a busy schedule to talk. I, I want to say just how proud I am to be able to call you a friend. Uh, we were together. We used to, I used to cover this guy. There used to be some battles. This is back when I used to talk trash, folks. And, and, and Rick would just was, was a bull to cover, just tough. And Cobalt School used to beat our butts every year in the first rounds of regional playoffs. But I, I've seen you grow, see you develop, and as not only a coach, but as a, as a husband, as a father. I'm super proud of you, and I want to say well done. I think your mother would be just absolutely delighted to see the things you've accomplished. And, and it's just getting started in my mind. You've got a whole lot more uh, to do in life, and thank you. Well, Fred, I, I really appreciate it, man. It just makes my day to hear you uh, say such kind things about me. You know, um, the respect is uh, right back at you. Um, I was talking to my man Jack earlier, and just um, Jack Ray, that is, and um, just telling him how tough you were, what a great athlete that you were. You know, I remember, you know, again, those days at Cobleskill and Herkimer, you were the short stick, you were the long stick. Um, yeah, you're talking some smack, but, man, you can back it up, too. That's, that's something that you could do. And, um, you know, I'm a big fan of yours and equally as proud of you for the things that you've gone on and done in your life. And um, um, I really appreciate you having me on. As you, when you sent me that email asking if I would be willing to, you know, to talk to you, it took me a half a second. I had to register it. And I was like, heck, yeah, that would be awesome. And so I appreciate it. It has been a lot of fun. And um, um, I wish you all the best. I'll look forward to seeing you down the road sometime. That's it for this edition of the Fred Opie Show. Thank you for joining us. Check out the show archive at fredopiespeaks.com as well as our books and other content. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Check out our show notes where you'll find a way to subscribe to our podcast, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. You'll find links to books discussed on the show, links to our YouTube channel where you can watch the show. If you want to know more about what I'm doing, go to fredopi.com, which is my website. You can see information on the books I've published. There are two blogs that I host there, both a food and an athlete's blog, and there's both a food and an athlete's podcast. The whole archive to both those two podcasts are there. At the bottom of the podcast page, I have links to interviews that I have listened to on other people's podcasts that I would recommend to you.